On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Vintage Rock Pod. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now, as you know, this podcast series is all about bands and rock stars that were big in the 60s, the 70s and the 80s, from all genres as well, like the mods, the progs, glam, punk, country, metal, hard rock, everything. We interview big names from all these areas, and so far we've spoken to five rock and roll Hall of Fame inductees inside the first 13 episodes. If you've not checked any of these out, I urge you to go back and listen, because they've got incredible stories is the Oliver great tale to tell. Now, this episode, as I said, it's a special one because we love rock stories so much, I wanted to go and get some from some real rock fans of all ages and from all parts of the world as well. So you're going to hear a few people tell us about their love of rock and how they got into classic rock, who their favourite bands are, the best bands they've seen live, favourite album, that kind of thing. Plus, we've also got an update on the playlist that we started to put together too. Now, after each interview I do with these big names that we have on, I ask them all to nominate one song from their back catalogue that they would put into a special Vintage Rock Pod playlist that I'm putting together on Spotify. So on this episode, you're also going to hear from Scorpion singer Klaus Mein, Queen of Rock and Roll Susie Quattro, Steve Harley, the Cockney Rebel, punk star Buzzcocks guitarist Steve Diggle, and Genesis guitarist as well, Steve Hackett. They'll tell us the one track of their own that they want to put into this special playlist, and they give us the reason why too. So check out that playlist. It's on Spotify. It's got some tracks on there already from other artists that I've interviewed from likes of Dire Straits, Small Faces, The Zombies, Big Country, Magnum and more. Hit follow on there as well because we're going to be keeping it updated as we go along too. So let's crack on with the first guest on this special Vintage Rock Pod show, our first fan. And we're going over to Bulgaria. We're going to be speaking to Velina and she's going to be telling us about how she got into rock as a youngster. So... I have to give this contribution to my parents because um, so I was born in a family of musicians. My mom, my dad, my brother, everyone was doing music. You know, my mom was a singer. My dad was a player. So my brother, he was a, a drummer. So I grew up in an environment where music was, uh, you know, the most important thing in the house. So it, it was because of my dad who early on introduced me to amazing, iconic artists like uh, Eric Clapton, Elvis Presley, Tina Turner, The Beatles, Rolling Stones, you know. I, like my parents were the, are, you know, not where they still mm-hmm. are, the reason why I got into this music from such an early age. And uh, I remember, you know, when I was a little kid and we used to have these huge like stereos and, um, <laughs> you know, for for like Christmas and birthdays, I would ask for them to get me, you know, CDs and cassette tapes and stuff like that. So I got into this, you know, genre quite from an early age because of my parents. And one day when I have a kid, I, I'll, do, I'll do my best to do the same, definitely. So um, in terms of uh, the bands that you've seen live then, um, clearly you lived mm-hmm. in you live in Bulgaria, so a lot of bands come across Europe, don't they? Some of the big bands. So have you seen many of these big True. bands live yourself? True. 
So, yeah, I, I've been to many gigs and you have no idea how much I miss going to concerts. Mm. And I, I can't wait for this pandemic to be over so that we can go there in the mosh pit and, you know, get ourselves together just like the good old times. So uh, a couple of uh, concerts, which I will always remember. So I lived in South Korea for five years, actually. And while I was living in Seoul, uh, I uh, saw uh, Ringo Starr and his all-star band. So uh, I was really happy because I really wanted to see at least one of the Beatles and I love <laughs> the Beatles. So this was a phenomenal gig and I will always remember it. Like, you know, in Korean people, like Korean audience is pretty different from the European audience. So it was really fascinating for me to see how, you know, things happen in Asia versus how things happen in Europe. And, uh, you know, when I came, came back to Bulgaria some years ago, um, there was this nonstop concert going. Like I saw Europe, I saw Foreigner, I saw Deep Purple, I saw Scorpions, Nazareth, wow. Morillion, so many amazing bands, which uh, I can't really pick a favorite concert, but still I will because there there's always a favorite concert. And um, that has to be Judas Priest two years ago in my hometown. So I saw wow. them live for the very first time. We have this uh, festival that's called Hills of Rock. And uh, two, three years ago, they came and it was crazy because one night it was Judas Priest headlining and on the next evening it was Iron Maiden headlining. So it was crazy. But uh, Judas Priest just blew me away. Like that was the best concert I've ever been to. Definitely. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Now, in terms of um, albums then, because we, I, I see you on, on Instagram and Twitter and you're always showing different albums that you're listening to. So if I had to pin you down and say, look, you can only have one album, you can only listen to one album from the rest of your life, what would that one album be? Well, uh, I think it's going to be a tie between Pyromania and Hysteria. And I don't think I, I need to tell the, <laughs> the, the band name. I'm just going to say the albums because everyone knows, you know, the band. I'm a huge Def Leppard fan. I've been a Def Leppard fan for so many years. So I think it's going to be a tie between Pyromania and Hysteria. I'll probably be Hysteria, but uh, I just I just love these two albums. They, they've been with me for my entire life. And uh, I think these, these guys are just amazing. Absolutely. Unfortunately, I've, I've never seen them live because uh, they've been to Bulgaria just once and I was in middle school back then so there was no way in hell I would go because there was no one to take me so yeah that's gonna be either Pyromania or Hysteria for my pick. Okay so at some point you're gonna have to go and see Joe Elliott and the boys live because that would just make it for you wouldn't it? I, I, I'll just die on the spot if that happens <laughs> honestly you know I'll just, I'll just die on the spot this would be my ultimate dream coming true to see them live. <laughs> Um, so what is it about rock music then and classic rock music in itself that, that uh, I know you, your family listened to it and things like that, but there's an awful lot of different types of music out there, isn't there? So what is it about classic rock music that, that you love so much? Um, this is a, a, a very different, like very different, difficult question to answer. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I like I like when the music you listen to is raw and you can clearly 
uh, understand the feeling of that artist when he was recording that particular song. I feel like music these days is too... Uh, it's, it's all done by a computer, you know? I mean, yeah. it's very... It's, it's not authentic, and I really like how the music of the 70s, of the 80s, it's all raw, it's all authentic, and it, it really synchronizes with me on that level because, uh, yeah, I'm, I was born in 1992, and, uh, you know, at that time, it was all about, you know, alternative music and all of these pop, pop stars coming out, like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, you know, but I was never into that, you know, I was always going back to the 70s and to the 80s because, it just it just felt so authentic to listen to these these people and to know their stories and to understand how like the music we listen to today you know they were the ones that actually built it and to me it was it was just fascinating to to um, to know how you know the history of music and how it all began through these artists and uh you know uh, in, in addition to like Def Leppard and all those 80s hard rock music that I love, I really love like 60s and 70s because to me that that's the most authentic time yeah. in terms of music. Like Eric Clapton and Cream and Tina Turner and then like I would I would just die for those artists because they just resonate with me and 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 their authenticity is absolutely contagious. Absolutely. Honestly, considering English is not your first language, that was a fantastic answer to that question. Well done, Belina. Uh, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, so in terms of, of, of you online then, um, you push um, mm-hmm. the, your love of rock music and classic rock music, like we said, through your social media channels. And, and just for, mm-hmm. for the listener, in case they haven't seen your social media channels, what sort of things do you post on there on a daily basis? So first of all, uh, I would like to say that um, I created this, these accounts and I started publishing content on them because there are not a lot of people in my age group that listen to that kind of music. So it was very difficult for me to find a friend or someone I can talk to about these things. So I was like, you know, I need to find friends online to talk about my passion. So I decided to go to Twitter and Instagram and I created this this brand so that I can find friends to, you know, fang, fangirl <laughs> over these bands. So uh, th- that's the reason why I created these accounts in the first place. And what I post on them is, uh, you know, uh, what I listen to on a daily basis, vinyl records, CDs. I post pictures of newly released albums because I wanted to like bring attention to some old and forgotten music, but at the same time, when I, when my account started growing, I really wanted to somehow create a platform where I can also promote newly, uh, you know, newly newly released albums, new artists. So because you know it's very difficult to uh, just just release a new album and, and be a new name in the industry. You know, no one knows you, and and you really need you know someone to give you a hand. So I always try to share new music by new artists, and um, so these are two of the things I share. And when there is an album anniversary or some important day in history, like today, this iconic album was released or today in history of music, this and this happened. Like I try to engage people into, you know, music history conversations. There's a strong rock music community on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, 
that's one of the benefits of social media. So, I mean, as bad as it is, it's actually creating uh, great communities and the, the rock music community is one of them. Absolutely. And in terms of, um, you talked about vinyl and CDs and things like that, I can see some behind you now. Um, you must have mm-hmm. hundreds, if not thousands. Do you, do you have any idea how many you have? No, no, I don't. <laughs> this is just like one, some small part of my collection. The other one is in the living room. This is this is my bedroom. So um, uh, it's not about the number. It, it, it's about like what you have because, uh, yeah, you can buy like hundreds of CDs and stuff like that. But uh, you... Uh, each one of my musical pieces has a certain history behind it. So when I see it, I remember where, when I bought it, where I bought it, who was with me the, at that time. So uh, it's it's the, the, the memories behind that particular physical object that goes. So I have a lot, like hundreds, I don't know, if thousands. And uh, yeah, I, they usually take a lot of uh, a huge chunk of my salary goes to uh, buying music, but it is what it is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it's it. Worth Thank it you too. very much for talking to us, Valina. And just quickly, just to remind us at the end, how can we find you on Instagram and Twitter again? You can find me at My Rock Mixtapes on Instagram and Twitter. So go and give her a follow on the social media. Next up on this Vintage Rock Pod special, we'll cross the big pond to speak to Joseph in America. He's going to be telling us about the first band that got him hooked on rock music. The first one that, that really knocked me out was ACDC. Yeah. I knew them even, even before high school. One of my first albums was ACDC Live at Donington. And it's just such a great record that there's so many great songs and the energy on it is really good. As a kid who hadn't seen any concerts, I would listen to it and feel like I was at a concert. And from, you know, there, I just sort of wanted to hear other bands that sounded like this good hard rock of ACDC. So, you know, some of the other bands I remember from that radio station that like you might not think of, but because they're not the biggest names, but like Slade, you know, Run Runaway. That was one that was drilled into my head. Uh, Europe, Final Countdown. Mm -hmm. That one was so much fun because that was one that my friends in high school got into as well. Um, yeah, you know, just just that sort of hair metal of the of the mid 80s Van Halen, obviously, you know, th- those became some of my absolute you know favorites in the early early days. Excellent. So when you're talking about going to see bands live, and obviously that takes your your love of the music even even further. Who were the first few that you saw that that was connected to the rock genre? Then the first couple of concerts I saw, one of the first ones I saw by myself, because my first year out of high school, I decided that. You know, I, I wouldn't be able to convince my friends to go to every one of these bands that they had never heard of to mm. go to. They had, you know, their own indie bands they wanted to see, like, you know, Wolf Mother or something. The first band I recall going to by myself was at Summerfest, I mentioned, was In Excess. And In Excess had the new lead singer, um, J.D. Fortune, from that rock band In Excess show from a few years before. And they played on a small stage, but they were great. And it was a lot of fun. And they covered like Johnny Cash songs as well as playing all those great 80s hits. And I had just so much fun that I realized, you know, going to a concert by yourself, if you love the music, it's just as good as going with anybody else. So, uh, you know, from there, I started, you know, seeing other shows by myself. Uh, another one from around that time, that the, the first real big concert 
uh, I went to my first year out of high school was I saw Van Halen's reunion tour and that was a stadium show, you know, diamond Dave coming out at the end of the show, waving <laughs> this big red flag while playing jump. It, it was, it, it, it took me to another world. I felt like I was back in the eighties, even though I had never really lived through the eighties. So uh, seeing that blew my mind. Absolutely. Now, this is a difficult question that I ask everybody, and it always stumps them to start with, but I need from you one band and one album. If, if they were going to wipe music from the face of the earth and you were left with just one band and then just one album, it doesn't have to be the same artist on the album as, as, the, as the band you're going to choose, but just give me one album and one artist that you can save for eternity. Oof, the artist one is tough. Uh, I would have to say, you know, no matter where my music tastes go from year to year, the the band that I always come back to is is Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I saw Bruce uh, in two thousand eight with my dad. My dad had seen him a whole bunch of times in the seventies and eighties, and then stopped seeing him. And we went to see him at it, it was Harley Davidson's one hundred and fifth anniversary concert or something. Um, and it was this massive concert and. My dad hadn't seen Springsteen since the 80s. I got him to go with me and it ended up, he was playing on my 20th birthday. Uh, so every time he shouted happy birthday, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, he Thanks shouted happy birthday, Harley Davidson, every couple of songs. And I just covered my ears for Harley Davidson. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't know at that point in time, I didn't know most of the songs, but by the end of the show, I wanted to know every one of these songs, every one of these albums. And, and in the years since, you know, I've listened to everything Springsteen's done and just about all of it moves me. So, you know, that, that, that's an artist that I can't live without. He's just, you know, that whole band is just too great. And as far as uh, a, a separate album that, you know, that, that, I feel is maybe the strongest. I was just do. I, I talked about this in one of my podcasts. You know, it's, it's hard to say what the best album ever is, but the one that I feel is undeniable for rock and roll is ACDC's Back in Black. There's just not a weak track on there. Mm. Uh, you know, how they put that song together, the circumstances in which they made that record is so interesting. You know, it's a band that I, like I said, liked before I even knew what classic rock was, you know, so I would probably say I'd have to take uh, Back in Black to the Desert Island. Now, Joseph, thanks very much for joining us here on Vintage Rock Pod. As I said at the very start, you are from Play That Rock and Roll podcast. Now, give us a bit of information about that. Yeah, so Play That Rock and Roll, I, I actually started as a YouTube show way back in 2012. And, you know, I had some, you know, middling success. And I decided that for the 2020s, I wanted to take the idea of talking about classic rock and telling the stories of all these great artists and albums and put it into a podcast form. So I launched that earlier this year in 2020. And the podcast is really two things, you know, one, it's just solo me talking about either a subject or an artist from the world of classic rock, giving a rundown of whatever happened or the, uh, a full band career. And then two, I also have uh, interviews, which are, I'd say, I guess, long form. I mean, typically about an hour, although I've had a couple go over. And those are usually authors who've written about certain artists. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we had our first recording artist on uh, just a few weeks ago and hopefully i'm going to book more recording artists in the future but we'll see where that goes indeed and that's at play that podcast on twitter play that 
podcast on Facebook, and we're on YouTube as well. That's Joseph there from Play That Rock and Roll Podcast. Check him out. Right, before we get on to our other guests, let's get stuck into our Vintage Rock Pod playlist. This is where we find out what songs the rock stars love from their own back catalogues. And we're going to start with a brilliant Klaus Mine from The Scorpions. If you haven't heard our interview with him, then you have to check it out. He's a top guy, a lot of fun as well. Look for episode eight where he appears on. So let's see what Scorpion song Klaus is going to add to our playlist. Uh, I think The Zoo would be cool, you know because it's such a good, cool, heavy song with a nice uh, talk box guitar solo from Matthias. You know, it's a, it's a cool song. It became one of the classics. Yeah, and I think it, it, that would be a cool rocker for your set list. Fantastic. And is that one that you look forward to when you do it live? Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's one of those heavy, heavy laid-back feel kind of songs, you know, and it, it became such a big song and I mean, it, it was like, had this 80s feel, you know, but it's, it's timeless. It's one of those big classic songs like Rocky Like a Hurricane, Big City Nights. I can't imagine a concert without the zoo, you know. It's, this song is one of the all-time classics, you know, and uh, it's pretty cool. And, and especially the live version, it's even better than the record version, you know. It, 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 <laughs> this was one of the songs that was growing, you know, when we played it live, you know. It's it's a cool song. Yeah. The Zoo is in. Next up, we're going to find out what song guitar virtuoso and former Genesis member Steve Hackett has chosen for us. I'm really very fond of a track that's on the Night Siren album, uh, the opening track. And this is one of mine. It's called uh, Behind the Smoke. It's a story of refugees, but I think it has, um, it's got a compelling, slightly Middle Eastern feel to it. And there happens to be a, a fab video that was done, at, which we made in Serbia, which looks more like a, a major motion film. Um, it's on the website. It's, it's behind the smoke. There you go. That's one from his solo catalogue there. Next, we're going to hear from Steve Harley, the Cockney rebel man himself. Now, he's got a load of big UK singles he could choose from. The obvious one being Come Up and See Me, Make Me Smile. But he's going to go for something newer, something that means an awful lot to him. I would put... Um... There's, there's half a dozen that, that when I sing live, I'm extremely moved by because I've never played, sing the same twice. And uh, I think I'd choose Journey's End from uh, the album um, The Quality of Mercy. It rings big bells with people of a certain age now because it was written to my son as he left university. Now I, one day I'll be singing it to his son, Cameron, who is four. And uh, it touches people of our generation and, and those younger I, I hear lots of stories about why they play it and when they play it the song what it means to them and i hear stories i get them on facebook and i find all that very touching so journey's end is in there too now we spoke to queen of rock and roll Susie quattro back in december is a great episode which also featured another brilliant guest jack tempchin a songwriter who wrote for songs for the eagles and and glenn fry among others so check out episode 10 to hear both of those great interviews but let's find out now what track Susie quattro is going to add to our playlist I would like to play No Soul, No Control, the title track from my last album, because a lot of people ask me, what song is really you? What song is really you that you've written? And the lyrics on that song, I actually recite them at the gigs. I'll recite the chorus so people get it. It's me. It's me. It's how I've survived. No Soul, No Control. It is me. 
I'll be honest with you, that is a great song, by the way. If you haven't heard it, you have to check it out. It seriously rocks hard, and she still sounds great today. And she's just announced a new album, which is due for release on March 26th, which she spoke about recording during lockdown in the interview that I did with her. So go check that out. One last track then to add to our playlist before we carry on with our rock fan interviews, and it's from one of punk's finest northern bands. Some say the original purveyors of pop punk. It is the Buzzcocks. They came through at the same time as the likes of the Sex Pistols and the Clash, but they're still going today. They're working on new music as it is. I interviewed guitarist Steve Diggle in November last year for episode 9 and he had some great stories about the Pistols, the Clash and even touring with Nirvana among other things. So go back and check that one out. Anyway, here's Steve to choose a song from the Buzzcocks to add to our playlist. Um, I'd say Six City sometimes because when we... I think when I think that we, Six City sometimes was a single of the... Of the uh, what I called the second golden era. You know, I think we had the first classic three or four albums out. And then Six City Sometimes really rocks on. And uh, that was off uh, an album, but it was just called Buzz Culture. We call it the Black Album, because it had a black sleeve. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that was on Cherry Red, funny enough, as well. Um, but Six City Sometimes, I'd say, because, um, I, funny enough, it, that song's about the, 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 uh, the sort of alienation in your town. It felt like the town were forgetting its people a bit, you know, ignoring, uh, you know, who, who people are and their identity, you know, the government rules and that, which ironically written a long time ago. Um, and and I, as I was finishing off the verses, um, the Twin Towers came down. So at the end it says, you know, now those buildings take a fall and it tries to kill us all in the name of something zero in your mind. But that Twin Towers kind of symbolised how fragile we are, you know, Nobody ever thought that would happen, you know. The, mm-hmm. a, a simple plane would go in and, you know, top of those buildings. Which Change is the like world, yeah. Something can happen to you in life like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Something hits you and you can sort of go down that easy. So that's it as well. But it, it's a great rocking song as well, yeah. And there you go, the playlist all updated. You can now get yourselves on Spotify and follow that playlist, which already has a lot of other tracks on there chosen by the artists themselves, and it's going to be updated as we progress with the series. Right now, time to hear from our next rock fan, and we're going to go back to America to speak with Leah. Now, her dad got her into rock by playing lots of 80s LA scene hair metal, glam rock kind of stuff, you know, Quiet Riot, Guns N' Roses, she remembers well. Now, she speaks about cementing this love of rock by seeing bands play live. I have like a theater background, so I always loved like live productions and, and live concerts. Uh, and I think like, it really hooked me when I saw Def Leppard and Journey like five years ago touring. And I was like, oh, I want, I want more of these. These are great. <laughs> and then um, we live in like an area where the closest concert, like big concert venue where someone of that name is it's three hours and more away so I don't get to see the big name shows as much as I like mm-hmm. um but like recently I've discovered the struts as you can tell by my wall and <laughs> I've traveled to see them a lot they're probably who I've seen the most um and I love them <laughs> <laughs> so what is it about the struts then because they've got a very kind of retro feel to them as well haven't they got a proper retro vibe yeah the I I found them through like a Spotify playlist. It just served up one of their songs. And I was like, this sounds like Queen, but it's not. Um, and I went down <laughs> and listened to, they only had two records at the time. So I listened to them all. And then they were coming only an hour or an hour and a half, two hours away from here. And I was like, okay, that's a good overnight trip. Let's go see them. And their live show is incredible. Um, 
I've seen them five times now <laughs> in like two years. I think that makes you a super fan. I think it does. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, when we, we asked this of everybody, I mean, if you had to, to take one album with you to a desert island, what would one album be? I'm guessing the struts maybe. Uh, I, probably the struts. But if you're looking <laughs> for a better answer, we, we asked this one time to each other on the podcast and I said Queen's Night at the Opera because it's it's such a varied album. Like you never get bored. You'd always have something for your mood. Uh, that's the one album you can listen to forever. It's something that'll keep you entertained. <laughs> and just talking about Queen and things like that, because obviously you're a big fan of Queen. Did you like, and Def Leppard as well, you mentioned there, did you, did you like a lot of the, the old British kind of rock music then? I do. <laughs> Every time I find a new band, I immediately now have to check. It's a running joke between my co-host Bethan and I. I have to check and see if they're British. Because um, it's something, I don't know why, but... I'll find a new band and I'll be like, oh, these guys are really cool. And I'll be like, of course, they're British. I should have just guessed at this point. I don't really know what it is about it. You guys just make better music, I guess. It's more <laughs> in my 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 taste, but uh, it's a running joke at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. We've mentioned your podcast a couple of times. It's She Will Rock You. Now I've listened to quite a few episodes of yours. I mean, you and Bethan have got oh. a fantastic um, rapport going on between you. It always sounds really good. And the one that Thank came you. out around Christmas was about Slade. And again, British band and everything like that we're talking about. And your love of Slade and stuff. And they were huge over here. So I was quite surprised to, to hear that they weren't big in America. Yeah, they, the only time I've ever really heard, heard them come up is, uh, obviously, I've listened to a lot of like Struts interviews. And they'll always say, influenced by Slade. And finally, one day, I was like, who the heck is Slade? Because they, <laughs> they just never got airplay over here. And I looked them up and I was like, oh, oh, this is where Quiet Riot got those two songs. Okay. Um, but they're hilarious and I love them. And I wish they had done better here because they're so much fun. I yeah. think they were like a couple years ahead of their of their time. If they had came onto the scene like five years later, they probably would have done a little better. Absolutely. But they had to pave the way for somebody. They certainly did. And they had huge success over here, as I said, in the UK. God knows how many number one singles and everything else they had. But uh, so just talking about your podcast then, She Will Rock You, yourself and Beth Ann, what, just for, the, for for my listeners, just give them a little overview of what, what you guys do. Yeah, so we are, a bi we come out bi-weekly and each week we take turns uh, kind of telling the other person about whoever we've chosen for the topic of that episode and just kind of walk through their history at a super high level. Um, and we also have like in between episodes where we interview current artists and uh, up and coming people in the industry. We've had like a band manager, we've had a producer um, and we kind of in the interviews specifically try to highlight like female voices in the music industry because mm -hmm. There's not a lot of music podcasts hosted by females, much less rock podcasts yeah. hosted by females. So That's exactly what I was going to say, to be honest. It's lovely the fact that, that you guys are out there doing it because, as you said, there isn't an awful lot of uh, females doing the rock genre. And, and the, like I said to you, I think when we were messaging, the name itself, She Will Rock You, is fantastic. I mean, who came up with that? Who's getting the credit for that one? That was me. <laughs> we had kind of thrown around the idea of having a podcast for a while. And then one day, we used to work together. And one day we were just sitting at work and I just looked at her and I went, she will rock you. And she goes, we got to make it now. <laughs> and we thank that you did. Thank you very much for joining us, Leah. It's been a fantastic chat. And uh, if anyone wants to check out your podcast, where can they find it? All the usual places, I'm guessing, yeah? All the usual places. We're on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. Uh, that's probably where we're most active. So find us there. 
What a brilliant name that is. She Will Rock You. Give them a listen and a follow as well. Right, next up is a British sports commentator and broadcaster who, and I warn you now, seriously has the best rock voice I've ever heard. That or he could play the villain in a Disney kids film or something. Anyway, this is Tim and he tells us about growing up in the 80s immersed in the hard rock culture. The first real album uh, that I, I remember buying was was Live and Dangerous by Thin yes. Lizzy, which was yeah, you know, which I still have the you know the double <laughs> gatefold sleeve. Uh, and then what you would do is we had this we had this marvelous uh, little uh, record store on uh, on the high street, you know that place <laughs> yes. that used to have shops that people went to, um, and you'd go in there and. You know, you'd buy things based on sometimes what the cover looked like. I yeah. remember that's how I picked up the first uh, music by Magnum. Ah, yeah, I, yeah. I saw this, um, yeah, I saw this, uh, it was Kingdom of Madness. <laughs> and I saw a single parked behind the uh, counter uh, alongside of Wheels of Steel, <laughs> which also had a fantastic cover, so I bought them both, you know. Um, but live albums were were plentiful, around then and I bought um Live and Dangerous uh then um Unleashed in the East uh Judas Priest mm-hmm. Highway to Hell came along bought that as well and then it, it sort of snowballed it was like UFO uh Strangers Strangers in the Night uh and on from there Absolutely incredible. It's just lovely hearing all those bands and things like that and, and connections to them. And you talk about the, the gatefold sleeves and everything on, on the LPs. I mean, how much do you miss things like that? I know LPs are coming back now. It's more back in fashion, isn't it? Vinyl and things like that. But in terms of um, album art and things like that, how much better was it back then than, than nowadays? Well, it was a lot better because every band used to release albums. You know, so you could literally, you know, Saturdays, Saturday afternoons, you would you'd go to you know the record store, and you would just thumb through album after album, um, you know, and, and you'd spend hours in there. I mean, literally, you would spend a long, long time. Now, that's not to say, by the way, that then was better than now, because if you'd gone back to you know us then and said, listen, how would you like to be able to access all of this from home? And by the way, before you buy it, you can listen to the entire thing. You'd have gone, wow, yeah. amazing. Uh, so I, I don't think it's worse um, now. I think obviously we had a lot more choice because there was a lot more you know, rock music around uh, back then than there was than there is really today, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so the choice was greater and there were movements you know, we'd come to the end in the, the back end of the 70s, we'd come to the end of that sort of overblown prog yeah, era, the likes of Emerson, Lake and Palmer and so on that were all on the way out. And I think if Led Zeppelin had continued going, you know, that they would have been on you know, the downward spiral as well. Uh, so, yeah, but we had the then the new wave of, of British heavy metal, which was unbelievable, you know, because there was, we had... Um, yeah, Kerrang! magazine came out. Um, initially, I think, and I remember buying the very first edition of that, by the way, um, with Angus Young on the front cover yeah. and Saxon were in it. And there was just, it, it was just like an explosion of uh, of music. And, you know, from 
uh, you know, Iron Maiden and Blacks, uh, sorry, Blacks, uh, not on a Black Sabbath, but uh, Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, Diamond Head, you know, on all of this stuff. It was it was just like unlike anything rather that you'd ever heard before, and it was loud, it was fast, you know, it was uh, it was really exciting to listen to, and the the covers of the um, of the albums were, you know, part of that, and you you felt like it was a bit of an event you know, going to buy uh, an album and walking down the street with it, you know. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned there uh, loud and you mentioned exciting. That gets us on to, to, to live music then. In terms of concerts then, what would you put up there as, as one of the best or, or some of the best that you've seen live? Oh, <laughs> I loved it all. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I loved all of them. I don't think I've ever seen what you would classify as a as a bad gig apart from and and this wasn't really rock music uh, i i went to see share yeah about the time that she was doing um uh, that uh, that song i found someone she 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 reinvented herself as a bit of a an aor queen yeah uh, that was pretty bloody dismal <laughs> i can tell you <laughs> but every everybody else uh, that i've seen I, i've seen everybody uh, that i've really wanted to see um and nobody has been a disappointment you know from a to z i've seen seen everybody um the ones that were the, the ones that were right up there uh being just possibly on a a, a different level w- would be rush <laughs> okay, for one yeah. um and i saw them i saw them multiple times and each time was just an incredible event you know um they were they were just outstanding bruce springsteen um i have to say was very very good uh i saw him in the the mid 1980s born in the usa when he was still doing those epic (laughs) three-hour gigs with the with the e street band um you know deep actually the only one i didn't see or i've never seen who i wanted to see but for, for some reason i've missed them every time around was judas priest Oh, okay. So, you know, a Rainbow, a Black Sabbath, a Van Halen, you know, I mean, too many to mention <laughs> and everyone was memorable. So who's, who's your naming off there? Um, now, this is the, the part where it gets difficult. I need you to name me um, your favourite band and your favourite album. Yeah, well, that's, um, I mean, that is really It is very difficult, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm just thinking, I mean, what would I, what would I, I have to say, by the way, I really, really liked the new or the latest Deep Purple album, Whoosh. Yes. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I think their last three, uh, that they did with Bob Ezrin have been just outstanding. Um, oh, oh right. Here you go. Uh, if I had to pick one then that I was going to I was going to put on it'd be uh, Heaven and Hell by uh, Black Sabbath okay because the the introduction to that you, you I always remember you you sit down and you put on and you can just hear before that thunderous opening to uh, to neon nights you can hear you can hear a you can hear it in the background before it suddenly comes straight at you i mean that that was 
I remember the first time I heard that and it was like, wow, I mean, listen to that. Everything about that album was just incredible. You know, there wasn't one Duff song on it from, mm. from start to finish and it stood the test of time as well. It still sounds as epic uh, today as it did when I remember first hearing it back in you know, 1980. I mean, Dio was just, I mean, his voice. I was lucky enough, I did see him yeah. uh, live on a few occasions. Everything that he did, he, his voice was, again, it was as strong. Even you know, when he was in his uh, late 50s, early 60s, I think he was the last time I saw him, was as strong then as it was at the start, you know, with, uh, with Rainbow. Oh, no, that was another one. It would be, it, that would be number one, and he would probably be on my number two as well, which would be Rising oh, Rainbow. by yeah. Rainbow. Fantastic. And then if we had to erase all other bands or whatever and you had to choose just one band, one act, who would it be? I, I think it would probably be uh, David yeah. Coverdale, Whitesnake, because he, he'd gone through... He'd gone through that great, the early period, the, the very bluesy period on things like North Winds, uh, and then we had the very early uh, Whitesnake stuff, which was as good as anything. Then they had the, the glam era, you know, from 1987 onwards. And then, you know, he came back and, and did it all again, you know, with, uh, with Bad to Good and, and Forevermore and Flesh and Blood, which uh, I liked as well. And he could do, you know, if you wanted to sort of tone the mood down a bit, you can put on a few of his love songs. <laughs> <laughs> and what a voice he's uh, got too, absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's a shame it isn't as good as it was, but, you know, who's his? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, yours clearly. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us, Tim. Um, quick plug of your podcast uh, uh, then. Where can we find it and what's it? And what's the main gist of it? Uh, the main gist of it, you can find it at the website, which is www.theclassicrockpodcast.com. And, you know, what's it about? It's about whatever takes me every month. It's a monthly. Uh, so there will be uh, interviews, archive interviews, new interviews, um, new music, old music, uh, things you've never heard before music. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's something of everything. And it's out every month. And it's sort of like a monthly magazine, but in audio form. Um, yeah, and it's uh, that is where you'll find it as well as, you know, on all the usual sources. What a voice, man. Brilliant, isn't it? Well, there you go. That's our Rock Fans special for Vintage Rock Pod then. Now, I personally love hearing other people's journeys into finding this music that we all love. It all holds a special place in our hearts, no matter how we found it, to be honest, man. Whether we lived through it or were introduced to it as a youngster or we found it in other ways, it all means a lot to us, doesn't it? Anyway, thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you haven't yet, please check out the past episodes. And the most recent to be released was a great interview with Genesis guitarist and another Rock Hall inductee, Steve Hackett. He's on episode 13, so as well as many other episodes and great interviews and everything else that's on there, please check out the rest of Vintage Rock Pod if you haven't done so already. Please continue to spread the word as well. Tell your friends and family to get listening and subscribing. And catch up with us on social media. We're on most platforms. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube too. You can leave us a review and a five-star rating on the likes of iTunes and Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast provider you use because it is easy for you to do. It's free and it really does help to spread the word as well. And if you fancy coming on and chatting about your love of rock on a future episode, drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. It's vintagerockpod at gmail.com. 
until episode 14. Then remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care. achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.